Oh, it's bloody fantastic, mate. It's bloody fantastic. This is the guy who will just come, he's going to make us competitors again. He's going to make us competitors again. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our first Koshcast of preseason. Uh, it's Bernie here, and uh, I'm on my own as far as the Kosh boys are concerned. Uh, the other guys have left me to my own devices. I will not spill the details as to why. You will find out uh, in about a month or so. Um, but we're going to do a whole um, series of these where we, we talk to fans from uh, who support uh, the particular clubs, uh, talk about the transfer business done so far, dive into expectations for the season, and where we can uh, have a wider conversation about uh, their, their rivals and competitors and what the expectations are for the league as a whole. Uh, so I'm, I'm really happy that we get to start this off with uh, Rahul Kavapale, uh, a friend of the, of the Koshcast. Uh, I believe, well, he's been to every trivia night. Is that right, Rahul? All but one. All, all, all but one. Yeah. All but Pretty one. good record. Yeah. And you won one, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, I think I pretty much experienced every position in the table. Like our team, we won, we finished second, we finished in the basement zone a couple of times, mid-table. We've had the whole experience. <laughs> well, you need to. it's one of those things where you need to experience everywhere else to know how to stay at the top. So uh, we are expecting hopefully to have one really soon, and uh, hopefully you and uh, I think your team's called Barcelona, correct? It, it was, and then uh, we changed our team name, and that unfortunately coincided with the drop in fortune, so maybe we should go back to Barcelona, because that was the name when we won, so should have stuck with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's always great to make fun of your rivals, right, and, and, and win at the same time. You can't ask for more than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so let's, let, let's talk about uh, Real Madrid. Over the last, let's say, three to four years, there really hasn't been much to talk about from the, on the transfer front, right? We know that you won the Champions League, I think, four out of five years, the last year being a big disappointment. Um, but, I mean, you had the best squad in the world, let's say, and you lost Ronaldo last year. Um, I think it was someone else you lost, so I can't remember. But losing Ronaldo is, is a big deal. Well, before we get into what you've done in, in this summer, let's talk about losing Ronaldo. What impact, if at all, did it have on your season last year? Um, first of all, uh, unlike a lot of Real Madrid fans, I wasn't too dismayed by last season because it was sort of expected that this insane run that we went on was going to end at some point. And I actually expected that it was going, going to end the previous season when we went on to win our third straight Champions League. But when that didn't happen, Ronaldo left. I completely agreed with the decision to sell him uh, because of the money involved and the, the salary he wanted, which I thought was not not feasible. So you know, when Ronaldo goes, you lose you, you lose so much. You lose the goals, you lose the presence, you lose the shot creation, the shot volume, so many things. And and we were not really able to replace him or or sign anyone else. With, with uh, you know, with remotely anywhere near the goal-scoring prowess, and I think the idea, which also I supported, was that you know let's let's give uh, Bale and Benzema and Asensio these guys a chance to thrive, and let's spread the goals around. And you know we're not going to get another 50-60 goal a season player, but let's spread the goals around and and hopefully it'll work out. 
Sadly, mm-hmm. it didn't. Uh, Bale was poor. Asensio was poor. Benzema was poor for the first few months, but finished really strongly. So it didn't work out. But I thought the thinking was right. And, uh, you know, now that it hasn't worked out, Zidane is back. We, we realize that, look, we, we do need to shake up the squad. And uh, I, you know, I really like all the, uh, pretty much all the signings that we've made. And I'm sure we'll get into that in a bit more detail. Uh, so, yeah, last season, you know, it, it sucked. It was painful. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited for, uh, uh, for, for the upcoming season. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of optimism, optimism among Madridistas. And uh, can't wait for the season to get started. Well, I mean, if if you if anyone who can spend over three hundred million uh, euros in a transfer window better be excited. I mean, yeah. let's I, firstly it, to get all those done before July. Unbelievable! I, I that that's the type of ambition that Manchester United fans uh, and Arsenal fans, so basically the whole Koshkas, would love for their clubs to be able to show. And Real Madrid just came out. All guns blazing, and if I even before the summer window, I mean Eder Militao, who people are not going to be excited about until he steps on the pitch, and Rodrigo, were deals that were agreed up, agreed upon way before before this. What, what, what do you think of of, of Militao? Let's start there. Yeah, so, uh, look, both those names you mentioned are examples of uh, you know how the our our transfer policy in the last few years has really been driven by a lot of foresight, a lot of planning. Rodrigo was was sealed, at, uh, I think, a year ago. And uh, people who follow Brazilian football really closely will will tell you that he was always considered, in fact, a bigger prospect than Vinicius, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is something given how Vinicius killed killed it. Uh, Militao was uh, last season, you know, the, by far, in a way, the, the best defender in the Portuguese league from from people who watch that league closely. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. pretend to have watched, watched it, but this is what I'm, I'm reading. And uh, mm-hmm. he has five or six caps for Brazil, he is he's he's a strong physical defender he's very aggressive and so you know in a couple of years the idea is if it if it goes really well he's the guy who who replaced ramos in the short term he can you know deputize for both ramos and varan and uh, you know i'm i'm really looking forward to it. although i don't know if you heard about his uh, his presentation uh, at real madrid it didn't really go yeah. well he uh, you know, he did the usual thing where you go out in front of, front of fans and you do some keepy uppies and smile and whatever. And that was all. Well How many good. fans showed up for his presentation compared to Hazard? <laughs> you know, I, I don't watch these, but people always show up for these because they're free and it's like a fun night out for the kids and that sort of thing. So I'm sure there were, you know, I don't know, a couple thousand at least. Um, right, right. But then he went to the press conference and he looked uncomfortable. He answered a couple of questions and then he said he was feeling dizzy and it looked like. I don't know. Maybe he was tired, or did sleep well, or the emotion got to him, or something. But, but you know, he had to he had to bail on the press conference. But uh, hopefully, that's not that's not a sign of things to come on the field. I, I think he's a, a really good prospect, really good signing for us. And uh, the last defender we signed from Porto was Danilo. <laughs> Didn't work out too well. But the one before was Pepe, and I hope that this that's the uh, sort of the benchmark that uh, that Militao hits, minus the minus yeah. the red card yeah. and all that. Now, Militao cost about 50 mil, which, well, I, I'm curious as to how that number was viewed in, you know, La Liga circles or did people not care? Because, um, you know, Manchester United are linked with, uh, well, they signed Aaron Bataka 50, 50 million, Maguire 80 million, whatever people think about those numbers, you can get into later. But Militao is someone that, 
no one knew as far as the wider football circle. I understand if you watch Portuguese football, you would understand how good he is. But a lot of people would say on the English side, if you sign anyone from Porto for $50 million, that's a hell of a lot of money. Was, that, was it received that way in La Liga circles, or did the people just not care about fees over there? Uh, people didn't care about the fee in this case because, uh, um, again, I mentioned the, the last central defender we signed from Porto was Pepe. At the time, we paid around $30 million, which was a huge sum of money for this was back in 2007, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And he he was probably at the time you know, about as well-known as Militao is now, probably even maybe even less so. And uh, he, he was a fantastic servant for us for, for about 10 years. And people remember that, that example. So $50 million in this market, uh, you know, I, I don't think people really uh, batted an eyelid in, uh, in Spain. Right. And Rodrigo was close to 40, if not, if not that. So there, there seems to be, uh, whenever Real Madrid get involved, everyone knows they have money. We get that. There seems to be uh, this premium on young Brazilian talent. I mean, Vinicius from last year, I think he was about 40 as well, and he was only 18. And where are you willing to pay that? Uh, let's let's see how that works out. I, I think I think it's going to be good. Uh, after seeing Vinicius, I think Real Madrid know what they're doing in that young Brazilian market. I, I really am convinced. Yeah, see, the idea is uh, they figure that if they spend say, 40 million euros on three or four different amazing Brazilian prospects, they only really need two of them to work out supremely well. If the other two turn out to be pretty good but not quite Real Madrid level, they're, still, they're, they're going to be able to flip them for, for a profit. So that's sort of the model that, that they seem to be pursuing. They, they don't, you know, no one can really uh, realistically expect that all these young prodigies are all going to become Real Madrid first-team stars. But as long as a good chunk of them do, the others will make careers elsewhere and uh, the club will, will make money from their sales. So I think that's it's sort of, they see it as a sort of you, you can't really lose sort of situation. Um, obviously, I hope as many as possible work out for the first team. But if they don't, uh, they won't really lose a lot of money doing it. Right, right. Uh, let's, let's go on to someone who has no resale value, but it's probably the signing that you needed to make for a few years the real exciting signing for me, it's the most exciting signing of this uh, of this summer, and that's Eden Hazard. 110 million, big money, but what a player, though! How, how are you excited to see him in the in the white jersey? This signing has been it's been such a long time coming, and uh, around the time it was announced, I, I tweeted out an article that I found from 2000 and. 10, I think, where Zidane was quoted. This is when Hazard was still playing in France. And Zidane mm. was quoted saying, you know, this is a guy who's, who's good enough to play for Real Madrid. I'd love to see him play for him, uh, so on and so forth. At the time, Zidane was sort of like an advisor to Florentino Perez. And Perez said, no, you know, we can't take this kid from France. It's too much for risk. And now, nine years later, Hazard is here. He's been flirting with Real Madrid for a good few seasons. But to his credit, he was never unprofessional about how he went about things in Chelsea. He was Honest, he made it pretty clear that he wants to go to Real, but he still gave his best for Chelsea, and uh, so, so I have a lot of respect for him on, on that front. And he brings obviously a lot of a lot of excitement. You know, the, the dribbling, the chance creation, the the goals. I think we're going to expect him to score more goals than he than he has been at Chelsea. But you know, just having having someone like that, a genuine Galactico in in the 
in the team is super exciting because we haven't really signed a big name superstar like that since 2014. So he's, you know, he's going to be expected to lead our attack, and um, I just can't wait, can't wait to see him in uh, in the Bernabeu. Yeah, I'm already seeing a, a few training videos, and mm-hmm. uh, he's putting people on the floor already, and it looked really, really encouraging. Yeah. He's linking up with Benzema beautifully from you know, a couple of short clips that that I've seen, and that's something I've been really, really eagerly anticipating is how that on-field relationship is going to work. Because as you know, Benzema is a super associative type of striker. His link-up play, everyone loves playing with him, other attackers. So the Hazard-Benzema sort of francophone connection up front thing is going to be its going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing that bromance uh, blossom. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be wonderful. And we've already seen all the all the, the memes of what seems to be people checking out Hazard's ass. And uh, <laughs> it's, I think people are having a lot of fun, fun with that. Uh, yeah, Real Madrid on... Twitter has uh, essentially turned into an ass-worshipping cult with the signings of Hazard and Jovic. Uh, so <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and, and and on Jovic, uh, 60 million. Firstly, props to Eintracht Frankfurt for pulling off a wonderful deal and and, and making some good money off that. Uh, they did a really good job. But still, 60 million strikers to me, they're not enough good young strikers in the game right now. And Jovic, you guys feeling that is, is very good business. I wonder if he, this, this season doesn't, I, I don't believe he starts over Benzema this season, but I, I have a strange feeling over the course of the season, he will make that spot his own. What, what are you thinking and what are other uh, managers thinking on that? I, I think I agree with you. He, well, you know, we can't expect him to just hit the ground running and start, especially given that Benzema was was amazing towards the second half of last season. So he's going to start. But Jovic, again, from from everything I see and read about him, he seems to be really, really supremely confident, and that's the number one thing you need to succeed as a young player going into a, a big club, especially as a striker. Um, you know, pretty much every player who signed for these clubs, they, they tend to have they have the skill and technique, but it's really the mentality that. That's that's what defines you know whether you're going to succeed or not. He really seems to have that, and he seems to be this really cold, sort of cold-blooded type of striker who doesn't get you know too too emotional. Uh, and you know he just sort of he's very clinical and kind of robotic almost in the way he plays. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in terms of the the transfer fee, I think again in this market, given the sums of money that certain players are going for, I think it's, it's a good deal. Uh, Real and Eintracht Frankfurt have a really good relationship, and we often send players there on loan. So I think that some that also helps smooth sort of deals like this. I'm sure we'll see some of our players going on loan there in the next year right. or two as part of this deal. And uh, and yeah, if all goes well, really the hope is you know in the second half of the season he should be pushing Benzema. Perhaps even depending on what else is going on with the other attacking players, they they could even play together, uh, Jovic and Benzema, because. I really believe Benzema can pair up with any other striker. He's done. He's played with so many strikers uh, in the, over the past decade, and uh, so that's that's an option. But the the idea. But then what does your really forward that... line actually look actually look like? Because we know Hazard is, is going to start on the left hand side, uh, yeah. where Ronaldo was playing. Although we know we're going to see a different style of attack, you would assume mm-hmm. that Benzema is going to be. Obviously not. He's going to be the focal striker, although we know, as you mentioned, he's got that link-up play. But then you have one more spot, and Benzema's not going to go on the right to accommodate Jovic. Jovic, to me, doesn't seem like he's going to play 
on the right is it brings me to Gareth Bale because you have a Gareth Bale sized problem. I know Zizou doesn't want him. Bale wants to stay. It may, people are talking about they could resolve whatever issues they have and make it work. How, how does this work, this Jovic, Hazard, Benzema, Bale, even Asensio mix-up, that, that pile-up? How does this work? Yeah, this is. there's so much uncertainty surrounding this right now. It's The Bale situation obviously is really difficult to resolve. He's really digging his heels and he doesn't want to leave. I I would be fascinated to see what happens if he ends up staying. Even though I would like him to leave, I think if he stayed, I wouldn't be distraught because it would be fascinating to see if Bale and Zidane, if they could you know, have a man-to-man talk and be like, listen, it hasn't worked out for us. We've, we've had our problems, but it's it's in our best interest for us to work together. Then imagine a, a front three, if Bale can remain fit, a front three of Hazard, Bale, and Benzema. It's it's hard not to get excited by that, but the big, you know, obviously the big stumbling block is Bale and Zidane would have to be, you know, okay with working together. And Zidane would have to be pragmatic and mature enough to, you know, understand that even though he wants Bale out, Bale is staying and, you know, he, he should use him. So a lot depends on the Bale situation, obviously, because if he stays, I, I, it, there's clearly a bit of an overbooking. But let's say let's say he leaves, which is also a possibility. If he leaves, then your front three is you know Hazard and either Benzema or Jovic, and either Asensio or Vinicius on the other side. In, uh, in I which case, I think about Vinicius, like, yeah. yeah. So and Zidane loves uh, Asensio. I, I don't think Asensio is going anywhere. So the ideal situation is you know Vinicius and Asensio battle for that right wing slot and if Lucas Vasquez stays he can play there if, if Zidane wants more for workhorse or for uh, you know for lesser games and then you have Hazard on the left and when Hazard needs a rest you can play Vinicius on that left which is where he really likes to play anyway and uh, as far as Benzema and Jovic are concerned if you know on occasion Zidane wants to play a more narrow formation like a, a four four two 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 and you could have Benzema and Jovic playing together. Obviously, we won't see a lot of that, but it could be done for some games. So, uh, right. so there are a lot of... Again, what makes this so difficult to predict is the fact that Zidane is not a tactical ideologue. He doesn't have one style that defines him. He's a very pragmatic tactician, and he likes to switch things up. We've seen him do 4-4-2 diamond, 4 3 3 3 5 2 4 2 2 you name it. Uh so there are a lot of possible combinations uh, at his disposal. And right now, like I said, it's a bit of an overbooking problem with uh, with Bale still there. And if he stays, yeah. then we might have to push Lucas Vasquez out or someone else. Uh, we also have guys like Brahim Diaz and Isco around. And, you know, so a few departures need to take place, that's for sure. And until that happens, it's hard to paint a clear picture of uh, of what Zidane's thinking. Well, well, let's, let's talk about one more player that you signed, and that's Phil Mendy. Um, and, it, and it reminded me of that because of talk about departures. Now, you spent $50 million on Fulham Mendy, big money. Um, I know that Zidane likes Marcelo, but surely this is the replacement for Marcelo, if not this season, 100% next season. I mean, Marcelo showed that he's finally human. Um, what 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 intrigues me about this, and and the rest of the and the other boys know I'm very very big on this. Ferland Mendy is not your modern 
fullback in the way that people think of a Marcelo or think of an Alba. I mean, his assist number is not that great. Yes, he does get forward, but a little bit like Juan Bissaka, his tackling is really what people talk about in his defensive attributes. That's very, very different. What's the thinking there? I, I believe the thinking is with Marcelo, you have pretty much the, in terms of creating chances, the best attacking left back there's ever been in terms of creating attacking chances. But he's yeah. now 31 or 32. Uh, he's, you know, he, he was never a crazy athletic specimen. So I, I believe the thinking was to have an alternative who's more of an athletic specimen, which is what Mendy is. He's obviously very young. He's very fast. He's pretty physical, but he's very technically good. He doesn't quite have the flair of Marcelo, but he, you know, if, if you look at his footage with Lyon, he, he does do a really good job progressing the ball up from the left back position in a in a different way to Marcelo, whereas Marcelo loves to drift in and become a playmaker. Willie Mendy is sort of more of a, you know more of a hugging the line type of left back. So with with those two options, you have a good mix. You have a guy who drifts in versus a guy who goes up the byline, youth and experience physicality and you know not so much physicality so between those two uh you know you have a you have a good mix and and you finally ideally... have some defensive discipline to be honest is yeah. because marcelo I, I agree completely he is the best uh creative left back i think there's ever been but he was also targeted by oppositions uh because he leaves a lot of space in behind him and he's not positionally disciplined at all Whereas Mendy, at least the scouting reports say those are exactly things that he's very good at. Exactly, exactly right. So you know, depending on the opposition, you you could uh, you know you could you could choose either option. And in terms of long term, I I guess the thinking is in after the season or maybe maybe one more season max, Marcelo will be gone. And at that point, we have Mendy, and then we also have out on loan Ashraf Hakimi at Dortmund. We also sent out on loan Sergio Reguilon to Sevilla, uh, who, you know, Reguilon had a pretty, pretty good debut season with us last season. So post-Marcelo, you have Mendy and you also have Hakimi and Reguilon, and two of those will then duke it out for, for left back. So, so that's the long-term thinking. And, uh, you know, so, so I, I quite like it. Um, you know, I, I like Mendy a lot from, from everything I've seen of him. He has an incredible personal story. He, he had a really bad injury when he was 13 or 14. He was in a wheelchair for like six mm-hmm. months, and they told him, you know, you're never going to play again. And to come back from that to, you know, at a young age, be be a left back for Real Madrid, French guy playing under Zidane, understudy to Marcelo. It's an amazing story. And, uh, that, and that I, yeah, I'm super excited to see him play. And and you mentioned long-term thinking. Do Real Madrid have a director of football? I, I don't remember one since Valdano no, got back as a result of Mourinho. No, they, yeah, they do not. They haven't had one in, uh, in a few years. And, uh, the, the the think tank is really a group of people. Obviously, right now Zidane is back, and I'm sure he came back with assurances that he, you know, he'll really be the number one man in control of transfers. But uh, you know, the club's board and the the general director, a guy called Jose Sanchez, it doesn't get mentioned a lot, but he's really the mastermind behind a lot of what's often portrayed as Florentino Perez's moves in the transfer market. So they have him, and they have a really good network of scouts. And um, you know, so so they have a lot of lot of experts feeding feeding information to the board, and uh, they realized a few years ago that the transfer market was about to go completely bonkers. And this was before the, you know, Mbappe, Neymar, and even before the Pogba to Man U transfer. They they saw right. this coming, and they decided, okay, we we're gonna have to we're gonna have to invest a lot of money in in 
the start of this tomorrow because we're not going to be able to just get whoever we want like we could in the early 2000s. So that's that's the model. So and, and so there isn't a director of football, but it seems to be working fine. See, that's that's, that's a very interesting point that um, it just hit me as we're talking about that because initially, and I'll say this from a Manchester United perspective, I said, well. Manchester United under Ferguson and Gill didn't have, work, didn't have a director of football, and it worked absolutely fine. In fact, what Real Madrid are doing now is very similar to what they were doing towards the back end of, of that duo. Um, but, and I said, well, you don't need a director of football if you have a system that works. Now we're all up in arms and yelling for a director of football. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it goes to show, I do think that, it's not necessarily a director of football that you need, even though I think in our case we need it. It's more a system that works and benefits the manager and the team. Whether or not you use the term director of football is really relevant. Do you have a system that makes sense and everyone's pulling in the same direction? And Real Madrid, to me, seem like they're all pulling in the same direction under Zidane, maybe not so much with Lopetegui and Solari. Well, it also helps that when they really, in a determined manner, started to pursue this young players' policy that they had a really strong squad because they spent all that money in 2009 and, and, and the years, a few years that followed. So it's easy yeah. to have that kind of long-term thinking when you have Cristiano and Benzema and Bale and peak Modric and peak Ramos and everyone's at their peak or approaching it. So then you know you don't really have to sign a, a big Galactico-type player for the next three, four years. So then you go and you buy your, your Asensios and your Odegaards and Vinicius for, for the future. So, yeah. so I think the timing uh, timing was really good in that regard. And if you know, if, if they adopted that policy at a time when the, the first team squad was weak, it, it would have ended really badly because there's no patience at these clubs. So, and so as yeah, you can see, when that, they need to spend, they will. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've been tooling up, and uh, and I don't think they're done for the summer just yet. And and speaking of, I'm I'm going to push on the spot right now. Do you think Paul Pogba is happening? Uh, I saw this coming. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I was like, when are you going to ask me about Pogba? I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, look, I think if I had to, if I had to put money on it, I would say that he will come. Just because Zidane really, really likes him, and like I said before, I, I don't see, I don't think Zidane would have come back unless he got assurances that, you know, give us the list of players that you want, and we'll do everything we can to sign him, kind of thing. Pogba wants to come. We know this. So it's a matter of, you know, being being willing to stump up the money that United want if if there's a price at which they're willing to sell. See, that's where I, where I think it falls apart. Sorry. Okay. Let's go. Do you want Pogba to come? You know, again, I'm kind of fluid on this. If he comes, I, I think I think chances are he'll be a success. If he doesn't come, I'll be fine with that too. Because then, because I'm a big fan of players we already have, like Danny Ceballos. I know it's very different to Pogba and not nearly as accomplished. But but if Pogba doesn't come, it could mean someone like Ceballos will have a chance to shine. Or maybe we get a Christian Eriksen who'd be a lot cheaper than Pogba and a, a very good short-term uh, uh, fill-in and replacement for Modric. So I think we'll be fine either way. Um, but... <sighs> Okay, if I had to pick, I would say yes. I want him to come. You can see it's it's kind of I'm kind of indecisive on this because there are pros and cons with him coming or not. But it's hard not to be excited by the prospect of you know Pogba, Crows, Modric midfield. 
regardless of what anyone says, Pogba is a world-class player. So if you get that kind of guy and a guy who Zidane wants and who who is idolizing Zidane, you you know that all the issues, for me, all the issues that Manchester may have had with him, I don't see them at Madrid because you have a bunch of world-class players at Madrid uh, that he can build off of. But you also have the manager. By the way, I'm not convinced of Zidane as a tactical genius, but there's that. When you play for a guy that you've idolized, you will take yourself to a different level. There's definitely that. So I think it will be a success. I'm not entirely sure. I was sure two weeks ago that you were signing him, but I'm not sure of it now because I'm not sure Real Madrid look at Pogba and go, 150 million, yes, we want that. Mm. I think the price is going to be a stumbling block, and I'm not sure. Man United this summer, especially with Lukaku, haven't shown me that they're willing to take players. They, they seem to only want cash. And if they were if they were willing to take players, I go, give me Asensio uh, and some money, and I do that deal. Give me some. I think Spurs is a wonderful player. I do that deal too. I do not do a Gareth Bale deal as much as you and I have talked about it on Twitter. <laughs> I, I do not do that. But suggest that you would not I'm do sorry. that. Man United would uh, consider it. Uh, it, that that is to me. That's the only way this deal gets done. If if uh, Edward Word like convinces Ole to to make Bale work, and Bale wants to take that step down, I'm going to be honest. As a United fan, I can be honest about this. That's what it is. But I'm not entirely sure United will do that. And if I have to put money on Real Madrid paying 150 million, I don't see it. Yeah, I think I think you're right. If uh, you know, if the, the price at which United are willing to sell is you know 150 or more, I don't think the deal happens. Um, because, uh, like I said, there you know there are Christian Eriksons out there. There are other budget players who can come in. And uh, you know, Pogba is a player I think Zidane would like to have that the club could really use on the field and off the field with his whole personal brand and everything. But it's not a signing that they can't live without. Unlike Hazard, which is a signing they had to make. They really had to sign Hazard. There's no other attacking Galactico on the market who they could get. Mbappe is not available, won't be for a year or two longer. So they had to get Hazard, but they don't have to get Pogba. Absolutely. Uh, let's let you know what. Let, let's move on to Barcelona, and then I'll get your thoughts on the uh, and then Atleti, and I'll get your thoughts on what's going to happen in the season. Barcelona have done a madness, and I feel they have one more madness in them this window. Uh, Frankie De Jong, great player. Um, I think that, I think that's a that's a really good move. Uh, he's still very young, so I'm not going to say that's a dead certainty to work. Um, although it's trending that way. Um, but they signed him in January. Uh, good move. They didn't get the lit. It seems like he's officially, in fact, Juventus have confirmed that he's about doing his medical. So that's, that's not happening. The defense is something they have to look into. But they have now signed Antoine Griezmann, which to me is the funniest story in this transfer window right now. $120 million is what they've paid. Atleti are saying, hell no. We want 80 million more because you agreed a deal 
way before the July 1st deadline, which brought his release clause down from 200 to 120. First question on this for you is, are Atleti's full of shit, or are they well within their right? I think Atleti are just... Uh, they're being a little petty with the whole uh, 80 million more thing. That's not really how it works. I mean, we know clubs sort of, what's that phrase, tap up. Is that what you guys call tapping up? I feel like it's yeah, a very yeah. EPL phrase, but clubs tap up players all the time. We know this. And there, there's no way they're going to be able to prove it. And even if they prove it, I don't think there's any recourse they can take to convince Barcelona or to force Barcelona to pay up 80 million more. Uh, it's happened. It's done. They got their 120 million it's it's a really bizarre. It's been a really bizarre saga with the whole the horrible, cringeworthy documentary that Griezmann made last season, which was produced by PK. The decision in which he you know said he'd stay at Atletico, and then a, a year later he's off to Barcelona, and it's it's ridiculous. As a pure footballing decision, I think it's a very good signing for them. It's it's hard to uh, hard to argue. Um, I, I think I think I think you're right on that. Except uh, on Griezmann himself, I think Griezmann is the prick that people think players like Cristiano and maybe Pogba and other guys are. Because, like you said, he made that whole documentary and he was doing this thing about it's such a hard decision for me and this, that, that, and the other. And actually said in the video, I'd be in Messi's shadow, but this is my team. And then he made the, the decision in the end. And then six months later, he reached an agreement to join Barcelona. I, I, I can't wrap my head around how just ridiculous he is as a human being. Really difficult to understand because last summer when he turned down Barca, I thought, although I was happy about it as a Madrid fan, I thought it was a really, really dumb move by him to turn down Barca at that time. Because we know that Atletico under Simeone play very conservative football he has to do a lot of defensive work. He doesn't get to express himself as much as he potentially could. Why would you turn down a chance to go to Barca, play with Messi, who's a really selfless player? You can thrive alongside him. I don't buy into this whole being in the shadow thing. Like, yes, you'll never be as big a legend as Messi, but you can still thrive alongside him. And then to go through this whole documentary thing and then a year later to go to Barca. And, and what I heard is that he is actually going to do another similar documentary this summer to announce that he's going to Barca. And that Atletico stopped him and told him no. And they kidnapped him, threw him into the trunk of a car, took him to the president's house. And that's where he made this mobile video where he announced. And it looks like one of those you know, kidnapping videos, like like a hostage video. Really bizarre. Well, I mean, he, he looks like a hostage on a daily basis anyway. <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a strange guy and he, he fits in with that strange club. And, and, and you mentioned something really, really important here. Um, so you have Griezmann, who was supposedly worried about being in Messi's shadow last season, no longer worried about that. You now have Neymar, who a lot of people believe is coming back. And for me, well, firstly, Neymar and Griezmann both went on strike. Okay. Well, Neymar didn't show up for training. He alleges that they had an agreement. Leonardo says no. Leonardo has now come out basically and said, if, he, if we get a good deal, Neymar can go. Neymar is ready to leave. He's now trolling his own club. Neymar has to leave. 
And Barcelona, the word on the street from the president and everyone else seems to be that they're amenable to that, possibly with some players going the other direction. Firstly, they're both pricks. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but secondly, how do they fit these pricks in this team? Because you, you're going to have Messi, who give him a free roll, obviously. He do whatever he wants on the pitch. No one should tell him anything. Suarez is probably going to play. I don't, I don't know. And then Griezmann and Neymar. And then there's uh, Usman Dembele. What, what is happening here? Like, what are they, are you, I thought you had a, had a build up. They really have a log jam there. I think they're considering playing a 4-0-6 formation. That's, that's what you're going to see. <laughs> that's the only way to make it goal. Um, Look, it's... it's if if Neymar comes, uh, my assumption, I'm operating under the assumption that Dembele and Coutinho will be part of that deal, which I think would be, if I was a Barca fan, I wouldn't be too thrilled about that because I think Dembele is, a, is an absurdly good prospect. Coutinho hasn't worked out. They're not going to miss him. But if you bring in Neymar, you're spending a lot of money. It's, you, I think you get a lot of short-term reward, but you don't get much long-term. You're not going to have resale value. It's It's... It's bizarre. I I do think I think they can make it work though on the field. I do. I think Suarez. I mean Suarez is getting older. I think in a lot of games you can just play that front front three. Uh, you know, with Suarez on the bench or being rested. The issue is when there's a big game. If you have a big Champions League quarterfinal, can you really play all four of them? The the obvious quandary that arises is if you play all four of them, who's going to do any defending? Right. Griezmann is really good in that regard. He is, he's, he's quite a workhorse when it comes to pressing and obviously playing for a Simeone team, even as a star attacker, he had to do a lot of defending and running. Neymar, even though he's not known for that, I could see him in this situation where he has so much to prove to Barca fans, a lot of whom are not thrilled about the prospect of him potentially coming back. And they were really betrayed and humiliated by the way he left. I could see him, you know, going the extra mile to endear himself to the supporters. And a big part of that would be putting in the work rate. So I think it it can work, but it could also could also just be really insane and implode. And hopefully that's what happens. But what? <laughs> what's crucial here, from what we hear, Messi and Suarez really, really want Neymar to come back because they love playing with him. And, you know, obviously Neymar's been, been a giant prick at PSG, but I blame the environment at that club for, for a lot of that. They they let him be that way. They, yep. they, they, totally they, they brought him in basically telling him he can be the prick <laughs> and, and exactly. do whatever exactly. he wants. That won't happen in the Barca dressing room because they have a, a solid group of leaders there. So, yeah, it's it's still insane, but I, I think it can work. My, my only That's thing my is once you get past the press, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced that they're going to do that much pressing. Messi doesn't press much anymore. Neymar, I don't think, is going to do that much. Griezmann, yes. But once you get past it, it's De Jong, most likely, and somebody else. And I have a strange feeling that somebody else is still going to be Sergio Busquets. And he's only getting older, and De Jong positionally leaves a lot of gaps behind him. He's still not there yet. It's it's going to ask a lot of that defense, which we know they were trying to upgrade, and I'm still not convinced by Longley, even though he did play pretty well. But it's, it's I don't know. It's 
it makes me worry, especially when I hear rumors of Danny Alves potentially coming back. I'm like, I'm not sure they want to defend at all of this team, this team. and that could be concerning to me. Well, they also have uh, Artur in midfield, who I also think is an amazing player, and they should just find a way to play with the three-man midfield of Artur, Dijon, and Busquets. I think that'd be gold for them. And forget about this Neymar business. But if he comes, if Neymar comes, I guess what you might have to see is Griezmann being willing to play a deeper role, which we've seen him do with France at the World Cup. Although that's the World Cup, it's easy to sacrifice you know, yourself for, for like four weeks. Whether you can do that for the whole season is a different thing. But that's, that's what they're going to have to do. Um, I think the thinking is... You know, we're just going to outscore the opposition. We might we might concede three goals a game, but we'll score six. And uh, they they clearly seem to be going the sort of very early 2000s Real Madrid Galactico style. And uh, and what happened back then was it it was brilliant for a little while, and then it imploded. And yeah. maybe that's what's going to happen here too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't watch the league as much as you do, but I'm just going to say it. I hope they implode because that would be great to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of, of uh, this idea of bringing back Neymar. I think it's weird. Um, a team who I would not mind winning La Liga as an onlooker is Atletico Madrid. I don't mind your team as well. I don't mind them at all, but, you know, Atleti would not be bad. Uh, but they have, in my opinion, one of the weirdest windows I've ever seen. Firstly, let, let me start with a, a sensible signing, which is uh, Llorente from Madrid, Real Madrid. I think he's a good player. I've watched a little bit of him. Looks very composed on the ball. Um, Brilliant. Traditionally disciplined player. I thought uh, he must have a lot of ambition to back himself to make a move because he could have just chilled at Real Madrid. Um, I think that's a, that's a good signing, especially losing Rodri. Uh, that, that, that's a good one for me. What do you think? Yeah, he's a spectacular signing for them. And I can tell you the Real Madrid fan base is still seething and really sad from Zidane's decision to, to let him go. He never seemed to trust Llorente. Uh, when he, when Llorente played, when Solari was the coach, he was brilliant. And in my books, he's, I, I would start him over Casemiro uh, already at this point. Uh, he's a much more okay. complete midfielder. He's combative enough and physical and good tackler, but is really good on the ball. And so for Atletico, you know, losing Rodri and then getting Marcos Llorente from across town for for you know half of the Rodri money, pretty much, is is really great great business for them. And and I, I hope he does well there because he's a you know he's a, he's a favorite of Real Madrid fans. And although I don't want Atletico to do well, I'd, I'd like to see him uh, realize his potential and maybe go and go on and play for Spain soon. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that one. Uh, so we go from sensible, and they've actually done a lot of business, but I'm only going to talk about uh, the big ones. Joao Felix. What? Like, what? I am shocked at this. And, and again, we're talking about... We're talk, in the media, we talk about clubs making... I mean, last year or the year before when Liverpool signed Van Dijk, all of us said, what are you, talk, what are you doing? $35 million, what is this? And that was for a player who has had years of experience playing the game, right? Uh, and we all said that was weird. In the but, Premier League, too. Exactly, in the Premier League. $120 million, there thereabouts, for a 19-year-old who's had 
eight months of football at a at a good level, and that level being Benfica. Whew, I mean, whoever did the scouting report really has his career on the line right now. Like he he looks good. He looks good, and I buy into a little bit of the hype. But this is this is I, I don't know. I, this, this is this is ridiculous to me. I don't. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he he looks really good, but the issue with the price tag is not so much that, you know, whether it's viable for Atletico or not, because they've made a lot of money from selling Griezmann and Rodri and a couple others. But my concern over the price tag is the pressure that it puts on this kid. This 19-year-old who's going to be playing for a Simeone team, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. And I don't know that... It's not just him, but even the Atletico fan base is not accustomed to having a player who they just drop, you know, near world record money on. And they're going to expect a lot of him very quickly. And if he doesn't start delivering very early on, there's going to be all all the media coverage around Atletico is going to be about him. And, you know, did they waste $120 million? And, and it'll, a lot of it will be premature, of course, but we know that's how it works. So this kid better be really, really mentally strong for what's coming He's going to be a marked man among defenders in La Liga. You know, every hairy-ass 34-year-old Levante defender is going to see this this pretty 19-year-old kid and be like, I'm going to kick him. I'm going to kick that 120 million euro kid. So it's going to be a tough, tough, tough you know, inaugural season for him. It's a, it's a gamble by Atletico. Uh, you know, positionally, I see it because he kind of has a similar skill set, basic skill set to Griezmann, you know, plays in the hole, creates a lot, scores a lot. And he looks to be a pretty tall kid, so once he fills out, he might be a good physical specimen too. But oof, the, the pressure on this kid is going to be something else. I keep coming back oh. to that. And I, I think, you know, if, if he can cope with that, and, you know, kudos, and it, it might just work out. But uh, it's, it's a huge gamble. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unreal. And, and you know what? Again, I haven't watched too much of him. But I know a lot of people have said, well, PSG were ready to pay 180 or whatever it was for uh, Kylian Mbappe. But those, to me, are different circumstances. You're talking about a kid who, I mean, he he spearheaded the team to winning the league against PSG when Monaco had no right to win the league against PSG. They made the Champions League semifinal. Embarrassing Man City in the process. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the, the, the stakes were, I mean, these were a lot higher for Mbappe. I can understand it. To me, uh, did they get to the final of, uh, oh, no, they didn't even get to the final of the Europa League against Eintracht Frankfurt. And that's not Jean-Felix's fault, but if he hasn't done anything to me that was out the ordinary. That's what I mean. I've seen a 19-year-old Wayne Rooney for example, do yep. things that you're not supposed to be doing at that age. I've seen a, is Mbappe for 19? Yeah, he is. I've seen him do that. Jean Felix has had a season that was basically Martial's first season at Man United. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure you spend $126 million on that. But he does look sensational. So he passes the eye test. Let's see if he can handle the pressure, as he said. Yeah, someone that's, that's, who, someone who will uh, 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 sign for Atletico Madrid looks like, and I think this is even weirder than Jean Felix is Kieran Trippier. Wow, 
I love wow. this. I hope this happens. I, I, I. So I saw him linked to Napoli. I saw him linked to uh, Juventus, and then Atletico Madrid. I, I, I don't understand. I, I'm. I don't get it. Do you get this? Well, Atletico have been looking for a replacement for Juan Fran, who I believe has left. I don't know if he retired or he just left to some other club. So they needed someone, and I think uh, they tried to get Nelson Semedo from Barca, uh, and they were rebuffed. Barca want to hold on to Semedo. Mm. And so, enter Kieran Trippier. Uh, I mean, you're, you're going to have to tell me about, about, about him. You've seen more of him than I have. I saw him largely at the World Cup. Uh, from what I hear, he's sort of like a, an, an enigmatic sort of right back. He can be really good sometimes, really good crosser, but sometimes he can be really shit. Uh, what do you think? I made I made a statement uh, in the beginning of this season with Koshkaz just to annoy the guy saying that he was the best right back in the Premier League. I never truly believed that. But uh, and that, that was mainly out of frustration because I think Kyle Walker is gravely Oh, grossly overrated, personally, and that position in the Premier League needs uh, some star quality. So don't take that last statement if you listen to that podcast. Um, but Kieran Trippier can cross the ball. But Kieran Trippier is, he has a lack of concentration and gets found out a lot. And that doesn't seem to me like uh, a Diego Simeone type of guy, unless he's absolutely convinced that he can drill discipline into Kieran Trippier, which maybe he can. But if Kieran Trippier isn't going to learn Spanish, because we know Simeone doesn't speak English, and English don't necessarily learn other languages very well, uh, it, oh, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I would have, if I were at Atleti, I would have gone for Thomas Munier. $25 million, you know that's what he's going to cost. You know he's adaptable. That was the deal I would have done there. Kieran Trippier, ugh, ugh, I, I, this, it's going to be a funny season if I'd let you pull. If they, if they close this deal, it's going to be hilarious. So that, that, that's all I can, I can say about that. But to what extent do you think Trippier's feelings might be more linked to the way that Tottenham play? With at Atletico, any player along the defensive line is going to have a lot of help and a lot of protection because of the way they play. So maybe Simeone looks at his physical attributes, he looks at his ability to cross the ball, which is also key to Atletico's play, and thinks, you know what, yeah, this guy isn't the most positionally sound or the most focused, but in our scheme, he'll have enough, enough other defensive players around him to protect his weaknesses, and maybe we can drill some sense into him. Uh, that might be what he's thinking. It, 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 uh, whereas you say that, you make it sound really good to me, uh, and I'm and I'm still gonna put my hater hat, my hater hat on. Uh, but yes, as and I forgot about Morata. If the plan is to serve Morata with crosses, then this makes a lot of sense. I don't think at Chelsea he got enough service from wide positions. Um, especially off the right side, because I think they tried Zappacosta and uh, there's someone else who I cannot for life me remember, and balls were just not being whipped in enough, and that's really Morata's game. There's nothing else Morata's going to do but head the ball at this point. Uh, so 
So I can see that as a potential positive. But Simeone has his work cut out for him with a player that will likely not understand him. So, and it's not as if Atleti have a history of doing well with English players that I know of. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I'm ex- I actually want this signing to happen more than any other signing this summer because it would be the most fascinating one for me. Yeah, for me, I'd like to see it happen just because we don't get to see a lot of English players in the in La Liga. And, you know, you, you guys following the EPL, you, you have players coming from everywhere to play in your league, from Spain, from Italy, from Germany. Whereas England, you know, and as La Liga fans, we don't really get to see many British players, uh, you know, aside from Bale, in terms of, you know, more like mid-range English players who've come over. I think we had Jermaine Pennant. I think he played in... Zaragoza, right? Wasn't he it? played in Zaragoza or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I like those kind of signings. You know, it, it just lends a different flavor to, to the league. And, um, Do you remember when David Moyes came mm-hmm. to Sociedad and David Moyes said that he was going to use his knowledge of the British market to improve Sociedad but never find anybody? Yeah. yeah. I forget <laughs> that that happened. I forget that David Moyes <laughs> happened and, and that Gary hey, Neville happened. But, David Moyes beat Barcelona. So... Yeah. Can't be all that bad then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're, we're running out of time, but I do want to uh, put you on the spot. Two things: one, from the best of the rest, is there a signing that uh, got your attention that you think, oh, okay, that's that's very interesting? From the best of the rest, well, which basically well, means Sevilla and uh, Valencia meeting up after. <laughs> Well, the one signing from, well, not a signing, but a dip, departure that I'm quite disappointed about is uh, uh, Sarabia leaving Valencia for uh, PSG. Um, mm-hmm. I think this has been pretty underreported. Uh, he's, again, a player I've known for a long time because he came up in the Madrid youth system. And, uh, you know, he, he really killed it uh, for Valencia. Now he's off to PSG, so I think they have a really good player on their hands. But speaking of Valencia, another bizarre signing is Jasper Sillison from Barca. And the bizarreness being that Silicon went to went to Valencia and Valencia sent Neto to Barcelona, but it wasn't a swap. But the transfer fees were both pretty much the same, so I don't know what happened there. There's money laundering happening somewhere in in, in that pipeline. Not sure where. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's not like Barcelona have not you know played financial games before, like like all big clubs. Let's be honest. Um, exactly. Uh, so, okay, that's, that's a good shout. Uh, hey, Valencia second, looks really question. good. They have, they have a solid squad. They also have uh, Cherishev, been there a little while from Real, most infamous for uh, for for costing us uh, Copa del Rey suspension because he was fielded when ineligible to play. He had a really good World Cup for Russia last summer, so I hope he does really well. They have Kondogbia, the midfielder I really like. They have Guedes, who had a great season two seasons ago, but was poor last season. So from the best of the rest, Valencia is the the team I'm looking at, and I've sort of always had a soft uh, soft spot for them. And uh, okay. they they really should be going for that, that top four, for the fourth spot. So so let, let's work our way backwards. If if, if we're... I, I feel like you're saying that Valencia finished fourth, and Getafe don't get anywhere near that, so okay, we'll stick with that. Who's third? Atletico. Oh, no yeah, it's gonna be It's going to be tough for them, because... They lost Rodri and they they've lost Godin, they lost Griezmann. They don't have a reliable goal scorer up front. Draw Felix, like we like we discussed, very talented but 19 years old. 
where the goal is going to come from, what's the defense going to be like. They still have, obviously, a great defense. They still have, arguably, the best goalkeeper in the world. They have Simeone, but with all the retooling that Real and Barca are doing, I don't, I don't think they're going to crack the top two. Okay. I, I think that's fair and I agree with you on that. And uh, I feel like I know where you're going to go with this. <laughs> I will ask you to take your Los Merengues, which is where I think you are, right? You are Los Merengues? Yeah, that, that's correct. Like, take, take the bias out of it and now come back. Who wins La Liga? Okay, well, let me set this up. So when when Zidane left after his very successful first stint, mm-hmm. he was asked which of all the trophies that you won was the most special. And he didn't say either of the three Champions Leagues. He said the league, which was one in the season where we won that second of three Champions Leagues. And he mm-hmm. said his biggest disappointment was the team's awful performance in the league in his last season where the league was done and dusted, at least for Real, like, Two months in. Mm. And so Zidane really values the league. I think if you ask him, you know, away from the media, if you really get inside his head, I think he would choose La Liga over the Champions League. And it is for that reason, and the fact that we have all these young blood coming in, new players, there's, you know, Barca's retooling, but they're still, they don't look balanced. Real look pretty balanced, I think, and they will look balanced once they get one more midfield signing that I think will come. You know where I'm going with this. We're going to win I, La Liga. I, 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 want, I, I, I want La Liga more than Champions League. Zidane wants La Liga. Barca's been winning it way too often. They're cutting into our lead. When I was a kid, I think Real had like 10, 12 La Ligas more than Barca. Now it's, I don't know, it's like three or four or something. Can't have it. We're winning La Liga. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is it. This is it. I, I, I do agree with you. I think if you look at um, as a player and a manager... At Real Madrid, well, the league really has a... I mean, he won one La Liga as a player, which you would think is is incredibly strange, and won as a manager. Uh, So, of course, he's won three Champions Leagues, but the league has, in a sense, eluded him more times than it should have, as far as the dance is concerned. So I do see a passion to win it. Uh, I think with the strengthening in defense... And if you strengthen in midfield, which I don't think you will do, but if Ceballos plays uh, plays more minutes, I think that's already an upgrade. And your your team will have now some attacking cohesion. I think I'm going to agree with you, but I'm not sure if I'm agreeing with you out of spite for Barcelona that I personally have. But whatever. <laughs> that's, that's fine. We can both be anti-Barcelona at the same time for different reasons. Real Madrid are going to win the league. You heard it first from Raul Cavapale. Raul, thank you so much for joining uh, me on the Kosh cast. Uh, appreciate it. Love having you on. And uh, hopefully you'll join us uh, a lot more during the course of the season. Hey, it's been a privilege uh, to be invited to the first preseason episode. So uh, it's been a lot of fun chatting and super excited for the start of the season. And I'm sure I'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com.